0: The RCR shop has great gift ideas from great looking tees, hoodies, caps, tote bags, bumper stickers and more. The RCR shop is now open at www.realitycheck.radio forward shop. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Ramesh Thakur is a former United Nations Assistant Secretary General an Emeritus Professor in the Crawford School of Public Policy the Australian National University. He's also a Brownstone Institute senior scholar. His new book is Our Enemy, The Government, and he is beaming in on Reality Check Radio from near Byron Bay in Australia. Ramesh, thanks for coming on RCR. Uh, thanks for making us a bit of time. It's a pleasure. Our Enemy, The Government. That slaps you around the face, i got to say, as uh-huh. a title.
1: Well... It goes back to the dual reality of governments when it comes to human rights. On the one hand, the government can be the best guarantee of human rights. And in conditions of anarchy, all your human rights disappear. Uh, Governments, through legislative frameworks, through human rights machinery, and through enforcement mechanisms, can underwrite human rights. And there's been a lot of that uh, over the last few decades, uh, with the norm being promoted by the UN the UN being a much weaker body for enforcement, etc. on the other hand, if you think about it, the most systematic and severe violations of human rights can also be done perpetrated by governments. They have the biggest power, and if they use their power in a concentrated way to go after the citizens then that becomes a threat. And I think what we have seen, in a sense, under COVID, is the emergence of the so-called biosecurity state. You had the liberal democratic state. Then you get into the Cold War period and the rise of the national security state. And gradually, the tentacles of the state, the powers they assume uh, and the powers they use to curtail citizens' liberties and freedoms begin to expand. Then you have the administrative state where more and more powers are delegated to the technocrats and the administrators, both legislative powers, but also increasingly judicial powers. Uh, And you then have to appeal to the judiciary against the decisions of the government. A very good example, by the way, is, of course, the taxation authorities. They can uh, confiscate your assets uh, and your wealth, and then you go to courts to redress that. And then through... Julian Assange and Edward Snowden, we get quite scary revelations about the rise of the surveillance state. I'm mean, to the point where I used to joke, why do we bother keeping minutes of meetings? Why don't yeah. we contract the National Security Agency of the U.S. just to give us back the records? So, give
0: us the transcript, yeah.
1: That's right. Uh, and then suddenly we have the biosecurity state, where we have uh, collusion and coordination between big state big media, as it happens, certainly big pharma uh, and big tech. And the drug regulators become, well, they behaved more like uh, paid-up subsidiaries of the big pharma than uh, public watch talks, (laughs) laptops rather than watchdogs. And it's been enforced ruthlessly uh, in a way that certainly caught me by surprise, the extent to which people willingly complied with that, were nudged into that psychologically, were subjected to propaganda uh, and fear porn and fell victim to all that. And that's been quite a frightening experience that someone like me who comes from India, totally different non-Western background, never had understood how it was possible for an advanced civilization like Germany to fall victim to the Nazi regime and demonize Jews, uh, and go after them, and then and, and kill them in the millions in the Holocaust. Suddenly you begin to see the preconditions where out can be vilified, demonized, and any, no, no punishment is too severe for them. So it is coming together, all that, bringing it together, and thinking, well, governments were at the center of that, and governments whose primary responsibility is to protect us, in many ways. Uh, morphed into uh, agents of harm.
0: Yeah, it's interesting you, you mentioned you know, Germany there because you could look back at that and describe that at the time as a biosecurity state. Because it was areas, all yeah. about eugenics wasn't it and uh, su- superior breeding and uh, that's right and aryan races and anything that fell below and that and going after was, the
1: homosexuals like, and
0: yeah the whole thing everything you yeah. were all everything under that was disposable Yep, yeah. and that was just and, and again people bought into that
1: mm-hmm. and of course you had the same thing in the japan as well in yeah. terms of the medical experiments
0: but not to recognize that as a pattern as we went into this is what you've got me thinking about just now. Well, <laughs> some of us didn't miss it, but so many did.
1: They did. Uh, and, and now I had approached this, and even through the COVID years, I've approached it uh, essentially from a public policy background, and in my case, began as international public policy. And i looked at global health and therefore pandemics through that lens uh, from my UN work, And it so happened that I was familiar with the synthesis of 100 years of scientific theory and empirical evidence and experience uh, by the WHO in September 2019. So just a few months before the pandemic is declared, and the evidence suggests that by September 2019, uh, the virus had already seeded in many countries around the world as it happens, although we didn't recognize it at the time. And in that synthetic summary, they were very clear in saying that a whole range of what they called non-pharmaceutical interventions, NPIs, are not recommended under any circumstances because the long-term damage and the balance of harms will vastly exceed any short-term and potential benefits. And I got puzzled as to why we had ignored that. Uh, Having retired... I had two benefits, if you like. One, I could afford to say what I wanted to say without being fe- without fear of being cancelled or uh, losing my job. Two, I had the freedom to do my own research and follow some of these up. So I looked at some national pandemic preparedness plans as well of the UK, of Canada, uh, of Australia, uh, and the USA. I didn't look at New Zealand, even though I spent uh, 16 years at University of Otago.
0: Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, uh,
1: But uh, I did look at these countries, and all the countries repeated that. There's a very, very good paragraph, which I can't remember offhand, uh, for example, on ma- on face masks in the British plan, which says uh, there is zero evidence of net benefits from community masking uh, outside as opposed to targeted masking. And there were things like that all over. So why did we ignore that? Now, if you think about it, science doesn't get overturned overnight it takes a lot of accumulated uh, hypotheses combined into one overarching paradigmatic theory backed by empirical data and observations so why did we do this well we got frightened by images from china uh, some of which were clearly dubious and people said that at the time and we didn't wait for that and and, then we I, i still don't understand quite Uh, why and how it happened. And then you look at the facts from very early on, starting with the Diamond Princess in January or February 2020, as it comes into Yokohama Port. And it was clear that in absolutely ideal conditions for the spread of a highly infectious disease virus, on on a ship with primarily aged clientele, confined close quarters, interacting with one another socially before people realize that there is a virus afoot. And yet, only a minority of people were infected, and a small minority actually died. Later on, at the opposite end, we have the healthy, young, fit people in the warships, the Eisenhower in the U.S. Navy, and the Charles de Gaulle in the French Navy. And there you discover that, yes, indeed, it's very minor as far as healthy young people are concerned. So from early on, the suggestion was that compared to the Spanish flu, it's nowhere near as lethal. Secondly, it's an exceptionally steep age gradient. Elderly with comorbidities, in fact, elderly overall, are a thousand times more at risk than the young. Now, if a disease is very steeply age gradient or any other characteristic, then it makes a lot of sense to focus and target on those most vulnerable and let the rest of society carry on. And yet we are told we are all in it together,
0: which is complete rubbish. Yeah, we all have to be well, – what was the phrase? I think you've even quoted it. That's right. Um, yeah, uh, we've all we, got to be – No
1: one is safe until everyone is safe. That's the one. Well, that we sounds it's like – completely illogical Orwellian. because it, what it says is you know that if you're vaccinated, you're still not safe.
0: Yes. It's like an Orwellian doublespeak term.
1: Absolutely. And, and and to stay together, we must stay apart. It was oh, full of things gosh. like that.
0: Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I, I want to read this a little bit that, uh, on the Brownstone Institute page describing your book because it relates to Australia and many New mm-hmm. Zealanders remember this. Australia provoked international incredulity at the brutality of its authoritarian measures to crush and kill the virus, the defining image of the pandemic state of siege in Australia will remain the case of Zoe Buller, the pregnant mum handcuffed in her lounge, uh, lounge room in front of her children. The episode is the very definition of a police state. Having crossed at Rubicon, how do we walk Australia back? How do we walk it back? A good start would be criminal prosecution of cops executing dictatorial edicts and of the officers and ministers authorizing such action. Yeah, that's um, that's the first line. But um, how, how can we explain, you know, going all the way to doing that to a pregnant woman, probably the most protected creature on the planet as far as humans are concerned?
1: <laughs> well, we can't. I, I, the case was actually a lot worse than just those words. This is a young woman... On a Facebook post, she linked to a protest rally and she actually said, uh, make sure you are masked and make sure you practice social distancing. And then the cops turn up. So in other words, it is absolutely clear that it was peaceful, it was to be within the laws. And as far as she was concerned, she was advising them to follow all regulations. When the police turned up at breakfast, her kids cowering, uh, she's frightened, and she says, "I didn't realize it was illegal. I'll take it down right now." They, they simply ignored all that and handcuffed her and took her off to prison. Uh, it, it was just astonishing. These are scenes I would have given a year's salary betting against seeing them in Australia or New Zealand yeah. or any reputable Western liberal democracy, any established liberal democracy. And yet we saw them. Uh, and there were others. There's one protester at a railway station speaking quietly to, a, he's not even arguing, he's engaged in conversation with one police officer. A big pop comes from behind him and smashes his head onto the hard
0: concrete pavement. Oh, yes, I remember that. Oh, so great. things
1: like that, and you think, what what is going on? Helicopters and army called out on the streets of Sydney? Uh, you think you're in a nightmare. Uh, so, yes, I think there needs to be criminal accountability. That may not happen just yet because... Too many politicians and too many members of the public who were invested in that. So it may take a decade or so, but at some stage, we are going to have to look back at this. And we will, I'm sure, shake our head in absolute disbelief.
0: Yeah, the role of, um, you know, medical officers of health, health ministers, politicians, government department leaders, police, um, NGOs. Parliament, NPs, human rights
1: machinery, judiciary.
0: The you, yeah, are. everyone bought in, didn't they? This is what's yeah. so scary.
1: It is absolutely the, 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 all the institutions that you would have looked to to check abuse of executive power failed their duty. Failed their duty of care to citizens. Put it like
0: so, that. so how do how do you explain in your mind? Because we all struggle with this. There's, there's, you know, okay, it was a. Um, unprecedented situation and no one knew how it was going to turn out. So we're all flying blind. So we, you know, did what we thought was right. That's what I hear from officials, politicians, doctors. That's what I hear. Well, it
1: it was not an unprecedented situation. Let's begin with that. Once you concede that, you allow them a lot of uh, wiggle room.
0: Well, I'm just saying that's what they say. There was no evidence to say it
1: was an unprecedented situation. There was nothing to suggest at the start that this was going to be worse than the Asian flu or the Hong Kong flu. It was only the fourth pandemic in 100 years. The worst remains the Spanish flu that struck young and old alike. Uh, I'm not sure too many Westerners realize what a, a third of the fatalities in that war uh, amongst Indians. So this is something that Indians remember uh, extra well. Uh, but this was there's no evidence to suggest it's a point like that. I think That attitude helped to spread panic and fear. The extent to which governments and media engaged in fear porn contributed greatly to that. Now, if you go with a new ailment or symptom to your doctor and your doctor, your GP, reacts with absolute panic, Hmm. it's time for you to change your doctor. Yeah, for sure. It's the job of government to reassure the public to say, yes, it may be serious. We've got all systems alerted to this. We've activated our public emergency uh, network. And I think that was the first mistake. They handed over everything to the health bureaucrats who actually don't have any experience in managing public emergencies. They have a narrow field of expertise. And they seem to to
0: be a a certain uh, type of personality as well, as it turns out. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I don't know about that. Authoritarian. What's to do with them. But
0: certainly... It can never be wrong. We, we, we could never be wrong. That's right. A
1: single source of truth.
0: Yeah, well, we know that one well. See, <laughs> what I'm trying to understand, and I'm sure our listeners are, and, I mean, you've thought deeply about it too, so maybe you can help us out. Yeah, um, you, you can make excuses for, for how you reacted. It, it turned all the planning um, 180 degrees because that went against all the planning that had been done in the past for mm-hmm. a moment like this, even the origin of this thing was dubious and the connections that were known early on, you know, the lab in Wuhan, uh, the um, the military games, the involvement of Fauci, NIH, all that. I mean, that mm-hmm. rang alarm bells that you wouldn't believe, but no one was even allowed to talk about that. No. Now, well, why Why even from the get-go would you not be able to talk about the possible origin of it?
1: Well, there were four major stools to this our enemy, the government, okay? One was exaggerate the gravity, the magnitude, the imminence, and the lethality of the threat. The second was exaggerate the benefits and efficacy and effectiveness of all your interventions, pharmaceutical with vaccines later on and non-pharmaceutical in terms of masks and social distancing early on. Third element was downplay to the extent of denying any collateral harms and damage and net uh, dysfunctionality that resulted from that. Even though a lot of us were saying from the start, the costs of this will be paid over decades, and the costs will be both on the health side in terms of deferred treatment and screening uh, and on the non-health side in terms of uh, educational losses, for example. Uh, In in terms of, uh, on the health side, in terms of uh, lost immunization in the developing country, that is very, very important. And the final fourth element of that was silencing, suppressing, cancelling, deplatforming, censoring. You bring the four together, you have the makings of a frightening uh, dystopia that we ended up
0: in. But don't you bring those together to hide something?
1: It all points no, no, that look, way. Look, Let's look be, it all that, points well, I, to it, that. It, it, I still think all these years down the line, that it is more a case of cock-up and panic rather than conspiracy. I think we are fortunate in that we had an outlier all the way through in Sweden. Right. And we are fortunate in that very quickly, a couple of major states in the U.S. also dissented from that, most prominently Florida, but also South Dakota and -hmm. and then Texas as well. Yeah. And... What all these data points, the actual hard data points from around the world, show very clearly is that the trajectory of the virus and the outcomes from this pandemic were, were what we call policy invariant. In other words, virus gone virus. Doesn't matter what you did and didn't do, it follows a remarkably similar trajectory, very steep ascent curve an equally steep descent curve. And so people point to vaccines. The worst period in India for the virus was April, May, June, 2021. That's when you had all these horror stories of corpses washing up on the Ganges, uh, the crematoriums uh, not being able to accommodate all the dead bodies, et cetera. Now, in that period, the ascent begins as a vaccine rollout begins. It's not caused by the vaccine, but it's there. And the descent begins when the vaccination coverage in India is only 2%.
0: And by yeah, the so market, how could that be vaccine-related? Exactly.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So, and so that's what I mean by policy invariant. You see the same with masks. It, it, it is impossible for any fanatic who believes in the efficacy to predict accurately, if I show a series of charts, which one of these was mask-compliant and which jurisdiction was not because they go all over the place. Uh, And it goes like that, lockdowns as well. There's no clear evidence of efficacy and effectiveness long-term. By now, we are starting to see the immense harms and damage in terms of cost of living pressures, in terms of excess mortality, resulting from the canceled, deferred, uh, undetected uh, screenings uh, and and life-threatening diseases. And of course, the, the, the tragedy is that in pretty much every Western country, I haven't seen a figure of New Zealand, but I'd be surprised if it was different. Your average age of death with COVID, rather than necessarily from COVID, your average age of death with COVID was at or above your average life expectancy. So another thing that we made, a mistake we made all over the Western world, we abandoned what had been the standard metric for assessing treatment between different patients, the equivalent of triage. And that is the qualimetric, the quality-adjusted life years, which is a, a fancy way of saying a lost life of my son or grandson costs more life years than my lost life at this age.
0: Yeah.
1: A younger person dying unnecessarily, avoidably, is worse for a society than an elder person dying. And yet we made the young pay the price for trying to protect the elderly who over three a three-year period, many of us would have died anyway, with or without COVID, Because simply in terms of the life expectancy and mortality curves. So I, th- I think all those things were a terrible tragedy. And then, of course, you think of the so-called deaths of despair when many old people just gave up. What is life worth for them if they can't see their children and grandchildren? If See, this is, yes,
0: or when you start talking about this, this is where I kind of get the the shivers, you know, because it yeah. is so. I mean, I people have used the word evil. It is evil when you do that. But is, of course, it is uh, because it's like removing any sort of love, if you want to put it that yeah. way. But, but I can't. This is. I'm I'm not the only one struggle with, um, that. Um, okay, so people were spooked and fear driven, and that is the um, the. The leadership, the bureaucrats, the politicians, all of that, but also the people, through you know the 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 policies of of projecting fear through the media, mm-hmm. but to turn everything one eighty degrees and be so nasty, and I get back to you know the case that and you focus about, just in one
1: threat,
0: uh, yeah, on Zoe Buller, you know, it, it even extends to to do it, to smashing pregnant young mums, you know, mm-hmm. so um, there's no that, none of that is rational. And you've got very smart people doing this. And we've since found through the people we've spoken to that there was a lot of lockstep in that messaging between mm-hmm. the countries that you mentioned, that there seems to have been some military involvement. Certainly, the way a lot of the strategy has been worded it has a military feel to it. I well, the know the national security
1: I, elite was in charge in the US
0: and projected down to countries like here and where you are as well. So I think what we need to do. We meaning the research community
1: and and the journalists uh, in the years to come is to investigate the network of personnel and institutions that is a very closed and small tight circle, like Gavi, the Alliance of vaccine initiatives, whatever it's called, uh, like sepi the the committee for epidemic preparedness uh, worldwide, and a surprising number of them. We'll have interconnections that link them to the Gates Foundation, to the WHO advisory roles, and to one another through the health uh, bureaucracy. Uh, So I think that will turn out to be a very influential network. And a lot of these people, by the way, you know, Bill Gates' philanthropy is very, very efficient and effective and making a lot of money for him.
0: Yeah, it's not just (laughs) um, being generous, right?
1: Well, if you look at the net worth that uh, increased, uh, that the whole thing increased for him, it's quite stupendous. And how many uh, pandemic billionaires were created in China in this period?
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, um, it seems too in the Western world, there are links to, you know, our, our prime minister was a WEF young leader. So was Trudeau. It comes into that as well, yes. And I think there are other people that uh, the, the names aren't so well known are involved in this who were there as well. So, you know, what's going it's on? that personnel connections, I think. Yeah, that you just mentioned, yeah. Yep. Okay, so you mentioned that it might take a decade, I think you said just before.
1: Well, I had hoped for earlier, but I think it will be the next generation that has not been compromised so much that will be able to uh, launch genuine inquiries. Uh, you know, launching an inquiry like the one that's going on at the moment in the UK is just throwing more and massive amounts of public money uh, after what we've already wasted. I don't see the point of that. That, That's that's already clear. It's 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 not even interested in this year. Did you see that exchange where the prime minister, no less mentioned that they had done some studies from the Imperial College uh, and the second one was treasury or somewhere else. And they showed that in the the quality metric I mentioned in those terms, it, the outcomes would be significantly, substantially worse than any potential benefits. And the lead lawyer said, I'm not interested in going down that path. They're what? much more interested in the gossip that they were exchanging on WhatsApp messages. It's nuts. Not so, interested. okay, how do, we, how,
0: how do we explain that then? Because um, uh, here we've had a change of government and it's a coalition government because we have a mixed member proportional mm-hmm. system and part of the coalition agreement to govern... To bring the parties together and form a government, which was sworn in a few weeks ago, is a full, independent inquiry with everything on the table, really wide terms of reference, including the efficacy of the vaccine, who did what, who said what, the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Um, We're bracing ourselves for it maybe not to be. Will we'll kind of sort of devolve into something you just mentioned there, but um, why why would they not be interested in the meat? The, the, this is, because, yeah.
1: because Paul, all the top echelons of the entire bureaucracy and the state are vested in it. they were all part of that. The dissenters were silenced, if not lost their jobs. You're going to have to wait for the next level to come up. I think at this stage a more realistic and actually a very urgent immediate task would be to force an examination of the excess mortality. Yep. Now, again, I haven't seen the figures for New Zealand, but it's a worldwide phenomenon.
0: Well, we've just had some data released Mm -hmm. by a whistleblower, Um, albeit not a complete picture, involving 2 million vaccinated Kiwis Mm through a payback scheme where the injectors... Logged who they injected and were, you know, uh, uh, paid per dose.
1: Right. Well, and, that's created an international, intense international debate on that.
0: Yes, there is. Uh, the only thing is that it's it's not complete and it skews to older age uh, mm-hmm. groups. It seems that um, that database covered, um, you know, uh, practices, medical practices, and services that dealt more with older people. We mm-hmm. have to we have to get the full set of data. There's another four million as part of yeah. that um that would uh, complete that sort of picture and then it would have to be yeah. obviously but because that's
1: ongoing and it's very large scale that is something i think that's more feasible to begin with that
0: but it shows an issue it, it is absolutely. A, a signal in there
1: well a safety um, signal a standard phrase that they use it's a very concerning safety signal that requires prompt immediate thorough investigation and they and, and they say nothing to see here move on
0: well, they're doing that here, even with the data out there. They've arrested the guy who leaked it. They uh, surrounded yeah. his house with cops, trashed his home, handcuffed him, took him into. So, what's into the, the point of, put him in the jail point for of your
1: whistleblower legislation then?
0: Well, he didn't quite go. Didn't quite go about it the right way. Okay, but, but the response to it was again, it's, it's sort of this continuation of of over the top uh, reaction to things, which you know calls into question: is there something? to hide here um it might be also that we need to understand what were were in the particular pfizer contracts signed Mm -hmm. in 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 the in the countries that signed with pfizer what were the clauses in those contracts that could be governing some of the behavior we're seeing
1: so begin with that so you you have your excess mortality you have a, a simple question a standard metric for decades in assessing benefits and harms of health outcomes has been the quality metric. Why was that one ab- abandoned? Third, why did, if, did we do cost-benefit analysis? If so, can we have the results? If we didn't, why not? How can you have major policies like this without that? Uh, and, and you begin with this and you begin to unravel uh, some of the mysteries uh, with that. Uh, and something you said earlier about there's no rationality. Well, the problem is when panic sets in, rationality goes out the window, which is exactly why we have the pandemic preparedness plans in advance.
0: The acquiescence of probably the majority of the public in our country anyway.
1: Oh, overwhelming majority. Overwhelming,
0: yeah, exactly. I just I was trying to be kind. Um, you know, uh, it wasn't that long ago that, uh, you know, our forefathers and mothers fought, fought a, well, two world wars. I mean, I remember World War I vets still being alive when I was a sort of like a teenager, you know, there weren't many of them, but they were still around. So that that was still obvious. And there there seemed to be an understanding amongst the population, you know, um, that I can remember that, you know, we fought for freedom, it's hard, one will never give it up. Yeah. It's again so easily flipped. Astonishingly easy in the face mm-hmm. of that sort of cultural inheritance, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. They, they gave up their lives to protect our freedoms. We handed over our freedoms for a few more months of miserable living. Uh, for
0: the Without banning an island, most Without, of us.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and, and just extend that as well, to the, at least in the UK context, stay home, protect the NHS. You know, the job of your yes, public right. health service is, is to protect you. It's not your job to protect the public health service. We flipped it right around. Uh, and, and again, so that's deeply puzzling uh, and remains puzzling. Why we went along with that?
0: Well, people, I remember, I know it happened in the UK, but it happened, um, I was in Auckland at the time, The people were coming out at 7 o'clock at night and banging pots and pans and and stuff in support of the, you know, the public health system. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, to have
1: a happy clappers.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was like some cult sort of worship thing going on. In yeah, the cult
1: is a good, absolutely. It's, it's, it's a good phrase. I think it did become uh, a religion. Uh, the high priest for the public health experts, and anyone who dissented uh, was a heretic and deserved punishment, uh, and anyone who changed their mind became an apostate. So the, the metaphor fits all the way through. And science became dogma. Any thing that you're not allowed to question is by definition dogma, not science.
0: Do, do you think and, actually, you've raised a very good point. Do you think there was a vacuum for some kind of belief system or um, a, a, a spirituality kind of replacement or, or something that people jump to so quickly? It's, um, it's it,
1: possible. It, it's Look I'm, I'm not religious, so this is, it's a difficult one for me to answer, but it does seem to me that the decline in religiosity, the decline in religious belief and religious practices, has left a spiritual and moral vacuum. and maybe societies and communities need excuse me, need a strong moral core uh, and need authority figures to provide them spiritual guidance. And what did happen, and I actually do have a section on that uh, in the book, uh, is that this became a a moralistic crusade. You're doing things uh, to help others, even if it has involved some inconvenience to you. And that moralism very quickly turned into sacralization. So you have catastrophization on the one hand, sacralization of responses on the other. Uh, and again, you know, what we needed was some, <laughs> some formula that reconciled uh, saving granny with living a life of dignity uh, as, as a free born people's. Uh, instead, it became save granny at the expense of giving all your freedoms, when in fact people didn't ask granny which she would have preferred.
0: Well, it actually didn't save granny. No. There's thing in the end. They didn't put even them more at that. risk. Put them more at risk. The
1: number of countries that put them into uh, care homes and then put infected people knowingly into care homes uh, and made them vulnerable. Uh, even Sweden did that, but to their credit, they acknowledged their grave error very quickly and, and tried to rectify it. And at one stage, the Swedish health minister actually said, We are lifting our advice even from the elderly, not because they're any less at risk. But in fact, the element of despair is beginning to outweigh in harms any benefits from it.
0: Fancy, fancy considering that?
1: Well, <laughs> <laughs> fancy Christ!
0: Okay. I, I think you say, and you're not the only one who's said it. The once governments um, have these sorts of powers, it's very difficult to roll them back. So,
1: oh, well, it's I, the old Reagan line, isn't it? I'm yeah, from government, and I'm here to help you.
0: Yeah, run. <laughs> yes. run for your life! Yeah, run for your life! He had a it's some great uh, um, phrases like that look so, people so- people and citizens
1: have inalienable rights and freedoms governments have limited powers for limited functions which part of this equation do governments not understand
0: okay so in your view given the title of your book our enemy the government covid and the expansion and abuse of state power you've you've mentioned a time frame but how how to undo this so it truly doesn't happen, well, it probably will happen again because human history is full of patterns and repetitions. But how well, do you one, think... One,
1: one early answer to your question, actually, and an important one, is to look very critically at the new regulations and new treaty being proposed by
0: the WHO. Yeah, well, we know about that too. Yeah, the exactly. international health regulations and the, the, the One Health Passport. Yeah. Yeah, well, see, that's that's not very good either. It's it's like a, a continuum of of what we've already been dealing with. Well, it's a consolidation. It's,
1: it's a grab for power and resources. Yeah. By the technocrats,
0: and, and I think so. They're the enemies, technocrats.
1: Well, that's what the state has become. It's, it's become. Yeah. It, it, it's we've seen a centralization of power in the. Prime Minister's office in parliamentary systems all over the Western world. Uh, not just the Western world, it's sort of seen in India as well. well. We've seen the rise of the managerial elite, the technocratic elite. There's a remarkable similarity of worldviews that they share. We see the corruption of the university system in the recent testimony by the three elite university presidents uh, in Congress last week, when they could not give a simple answer to a question that demanded moral clarity, they provided legal ambiguity and equivocation yep. and universities train your teachers, universities train the media, universities train your bureaucrats they are at the center of this, and they've become uh, they've become corrupted into institutionalized cowardice. Uh, and the woke agenda. Uh, so I think a good place to begin would be that as well. I mean, we need to look at how do you reset all universities.
0: How do you reset the university system without closing it down and restarting it or, or doing what? How would you do that?
1: Well, they're starting to propose some private, new private universities in the US, but I, I think we are from systems and cultures that still has essentially public education. So I think we do need to look at the curricula. Uh, and I think we need to get involved uh, as parents and citizens a lot more instead of leaving it, quote-unquote, to the experts. The experts failed us. The experts turned out to be the enemy. The experts turned out to be the threat.
0: Yes, the um, the word or description expert has been trashed forever, really, hasn't it, No.
1: Well, that saying about, you know, uh, you could only be an intellectual to believe something so stupid. <laughs>
0: All right, so you think it's the next generation that really possibly that's that's kind of disconnected from this? Well, what I would like is to have
1: accountability and criminal accountability now. Uh, I don't think I'm going to get it, but I'll I'll explain why I think it is important uh, and why, even if it comes later, it may come. If you look at major long-term crimes by the state, whether there's the apartheid regime in South Africa or mass atrocities committed by some others. The sense of justice is very deeply ingrained in us as human beings, as societies. And that includes element of punishment appropriate to the crime. So that's the first argument for it. The second argument is, It's impossible to bring about emotional closure without the accountability and justice. And the justice doesn't have to be our standard operating retributive justice. It could be restorative justice. It could be transitional justice. It could be the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa. There are different models for that. But the third element is it is the most effective deterrent to repetition of the crimes in the future. If people who did it today get away with it and are not held to account, then another generation will come along and do the same thing. If, on the other hand, exemplary punishments are meted out now, then they will think twice, maybe thrice. So what we said when we began with these international criminal justice mechanisms mechanisms in which I was involved, we said, look, Within the space of 15 years, I'm talking about the establishment of the International Criminal Court, which has had its disappointments, but that's a different issue. Said within the space of 15 years, 15 years ago, no tyrant would have had cause to fear being caught, tried, and punishment for acts of atrocity. Now, it may be that most will not be tried for what they do in the future either. But no tyrant any longer can be certain of impunity, can be free of the fear that we will come after him. And that will act as a very effective deterrent. So I think we need something similar. In other words, flip the Sun Tzu argument, where the dictator kills one and terrifies a thousand. Catch one, try one, punish one, and you terrify all the other wannabe
0: dictators. I get it. Yeah. Wow. Is there anything more to add? It's been really, um, really cool having you on our program, Ramesh. Thanks for coming on. Uh, I'm gonna get a hold of the book. I want to read the book. <laughs> well, I won't say it's
1: been a pleasure, but
0: uh, you're <laughs> welcome. No, none, none, none of this is a pleasure. I, I get No.
1: Some. That. Some. This too will pass. We will wake from it. You know, the, the, the overall trend line of human history is still positive. Yeah. Trajectory.
0: Well, I so, guess you live and you learn, and this could be in the big picture, some epic learning experience. There it?
1: will be many teachable moments that educators will be able to draw on from the last three years.
0: That's very well put. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Take care. Ramis thanks for coming on our um, radio station. The book is Our Enemy, The Government, COVID and the Expansion and Abuse of State Power. Brownstone.org. You can search it out there, read about it. And thanks again for coming on our program. Have a great uh, holiday period and a, and, a, and a great 2024.
1: Thanks for having me and uh, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to all your listeners.
0: RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Loving what you're hearing? Well, the establishment hates it. And right now they're conjuring up new ways to try and censor RCR. To ensure you never miss a beat of the hard-hitting news you've come to know and love, make sure you're on the RCR mailing list. Get connected now at realitycheck.radio forward slash email.